Well, the Gonzaga Bulldogs are taking on a Baylor Bears squad on Friday. They just got ran out of the gym by Marquette. What is this team's identity so far this season, and what can Gonzaga do to take them down and earn another huge non-conference victory? You are Locked on Zags, your daily podcast on the Gonzaga Bulldogs. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. What is going on, y'all? Welcome to the Locked On Zags podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I am your host and longtime Gonzaga podcaster, Andy Patton, here to bring you news and updates on all things Zag athletics. All right, folks, today's episode is a preview of Gonzaga's Friday afternoon matchup against the Baylor Bears at the Sanford Pentagon in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. It is the inaugural Peacock Classic, which is... Basically, all that it means, unfortunately, is that fans have to pay for the Peacock streaming service if they don't already in order to be able to watch the game. Gonzaga has now had a handful of games this season that have had unique ways to be able to watch the game. I could understand the attempts at innovation. Certainly, Mark Few is a champion of doing whatever he can to help college basketball grow, to help college basketball reach different audiences. This is something he has been very passionate about. Rick Barnes, very passionate about it, hence why we had that pay-per-view game against Tennessee before the season. Uh, We've seen Gonzaga do lots of other things that have kind of been in an attempt to generate more interest. Obviously, the game against Michigan State on the aircraft carrier, the USS Abraham Lincoln, is a factor there. Uh, It's unfortunate when situations are created where where fans have to pay more money to watch the games. Uh, It's a bit unfair to different socioeconomic statuses. Obviously, that's kind of a factor and also just frustrating for people who already have to spend a lot of money to get Root TV, uh, who have to use Fubo to get the games. Uh, we, we know that the current state of TV streaming services, uh, particularly when it comes to sports, has been a bit uh, chaotic lately. I guess that's the best way to put it. Uh, and certainly having another situation where Gonzaga is playing the super huge marquee game and most people who have one, two, three, even more different streaming services already available to them are finding out that this is not going to be a easy game for them to watch. So hopefully there are situations that can resolve that for fans who who need to find a way to be able to watch this game or want to find a, a way to be able to watch this game. It's also a, a very true neutral site game in the sense that it is not a neutral game in Seattle or a neutral game in Birmingham like Gonzaga has, is playing Alabama later this year. Uh, it is a true neutral site game. Sioux Falls, South Dakota at the Sanford Pentagon, a kind of a building that the, the, both coaches have expressed extreme excitement about getting an opportunity to play in. So we will see what that looks like when the game rolls around. But definitely not a game that is favoring either side in terms of the travel to the game because it is out there, out there in South Dakota. Uh, so, yeah, we're going to talk about the Bears here a little bit. Uh, this is a unique team uh, at this point in the season, pretty similar to Gonzaga in a lot of ways. They're 5-2 and two on the year. Their losses are to Virginia and Marquette. The Virginia loss is forgivable. Obviously, Virginia is right now playing like a top-five team, a potential number one overall seed when it comes to March. The Marquette loss, though, that's the one that we want to focus on a little bit because Marquette came in and ran – Baylor straight out of the gym. I, I mean, just it was it was at Marquette. The place was absolutely popping. Shaka Smart had that team go, and they have a rich history of playing up in games like that and pulling off major upsets. But they just blew Baylor out of the doors, right out of the shoots. Ended up winning ninety six to seventy, and I swear it almost felt like it was more of a blowout than even a twenty six point game was. 
this is going to create an interesting environment. We saw Gonzaga get blown out by Texas. We saw them respond by beating Kentucky quite handily uh, in a, a not quite a home game, but a semi home game after they were pretty pissed off, frankly, about losing to uh, to Texas in that game. So we'll see if Baylor responds similarly, where they're not going to let themselves get beat badly two games in a row. Uh, I have a suspicion that they're going to come out and look fairly sharp and really not prepared to lose another game like that. Uh, but of course, for Gonzaga, it gives them a pretty strong blueprint of, hey, this is how to beat this team. So I'm hopeful that Mark Few and the staff are doing what, frankly, it didn't appear that John Calipari and their staff did in that game, which is pouring over the tape. Watch this Marquette game. Watch it again. Watch it again and look at what did Baylor do or what did Marquette do? How did they attack Baylor's guards? What did they do to put them in positions that made them uncomfortable? How do they prevent Baylor's big men from scoring basically any points at all? Like, What are the ways to attack this team? Uh, right now, Baylor is Ken Palm 15 in the country. Like we said, they're five and two. Four of their wins are by game wins. One of their wins is against UCLA. That's obviously a nice win to have on the docket. It was a close game, but Baylor did prevail in that one. So we've seen them win a close game. We've seen them lose a close game. We've seen them get blown out once. We've seen them win a couple of other easier games to win. So this seems a little bit hard to predict. So is Gonzaga. Another similarity they have. Gonzaga has the number one ranked offense per Ken Palm. Baylor has the number two ranked offense per Ken Palm. Gonzaga has the 51st ranked defense in the country. Baylor's is down to 77th after nearly giving up triple digits to an unranked Marquette squad. So that'll be an interesting matchup. It could be a really, really high scoring affair at the Sanford Pentagon. We could be talking 95, 92, something in that range, just because these two teams are so effective and talented on the offensive end of the floor and both leave something to be desired, let's put it that way, on the defensive end of the floor. Baylor relies on their veteran guards, Adam Flagler and LJ Cryer. Those are the two guys who are going to do the most damage against the Zags in this one. Cryer's averaging 18 points. He's shooting just under 39% from deep. Meanwhile, Flagler is averaging 17 points, seven assists, and is shooting a staggering 54% from deep. He is an absolute sharpshooter. He is a great passer. He is a good scorer. He is going to give the Zags a lot of problems. Baylor came into the season expecting to have a three-headed monster in the backcourt. They do, but that third player just hasn't quite emerged the way that they were hoping he would. That is Keontae George, the star freshman, one of the most impactful freshmen in the year, a guy who was on many mock drafts as high as third behind Victor Wembignana and Scoot Henderson. He is not in that conversation right now. He's still averaging 14.5 points, four assists, four boards. He's also averaging three turnovers per game. He's shooting under 40% from the field and just about 32% from deep. So he hasn't quite found that efficiency offensively. Baylor's really looking at him to be their third scorer, another dynamic player that they could kind of play off of and can go create shots and do that stuff. He hasn't been that guy yet. And then for Baylor, the depth in the front court is a pretty significant issue. They have Flo Thamba. He's back. He was there for Gonzaga against Gonzaga a couple of years ago in the national championship game. He's a phenomenal defensive post player, but he's not an offensive threat. He's averaging about four points per game in that Marquette game. I believe he had one point entirety he's just he's just he's not a guy that does much on that end of the floor but they don't have a lot of guys who do that they have Jalen Bridges who came in as a transfer he's averaging just under 10 points and four boards per game but he is shooting pretty inefficiently from the field they of course have former BYU transfer Caleb Lohner he's playing a significant role for this team off the bench averaging six and a half points and five rebounds per game but 
There's not a lot of low post scoring. There's really the scoring is primarily coming from the two veteran guards, Cryer and Flagler. Uh, but those guys are really good and really hard to stop. So it's not going to be an easy task, even if they are less balanced than they would probably like to be at this point in the season. Keontae George is due for a breakout too. So I don't think you can account on, oh, we'll just, we won't worry too much about him because he hasn't had a strong start to the year. At any point, he could flip the switch and be that player that they need him to be. So this is going to be a tough matchup for Gonzaga defensively. It always is going up against Baylor, always is going up against a team ranked number two in the offense uh, per Ken Palm. But I think that this is a game that Gonzaga has the ability to certainly win just because we've seen some of Baylor's deficiencies. And that's really what I want to talk about in the second segment is what. This game could go a lot of different directions. It genuinely could go in every different direction possible. But for it to end in a Zag victory, here are the five keys for Mark Few's club. But before we get to those, I want to tell you all about Bet Online. College basketball and the NBA are back in action, and college football and the NFL remain in the thick of their seasons. BetOnline.net is your number one source for all of your betting needs and sports information. From all the latest odds, contests, and player props, you name it. BetOnline remains the best spot for all the latest sports developments, including podcasts and reviews for all of the leagues this season. And it's not just basketball. BetOnline is your continued source for all your sports wagering information needs, including live betting and your favorite Vegas casino games. They even have lines for coaching changes across every major sport, so even in the offseason, you can get your fix. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends and action. BetOnline, where the game starts. All right, segment two, study patents still locked on Zags. I want to thank all of you for making Locked On Zags your first listen of the day. For your second listen today, check out the Locked On Sports Today podcast. From the games that matter the most to the biggest stories in sports, go beyond the scoreboard and behind the scenes with local experts and insights that only Locked On can provide. Locked On Sports Today, available on this app, YouTube, and wherever you get podcasts. All right, we're talking five keys to victory for the Gonzaga Bulldogs in this one against the Baylor Bears. Uh, we're just going to get right into it. Number one, the biggest question for the Zags, especially when playing a team like Baylor and knowing what they've done against this team historically, can Gonzaga get the ball to Drew Timmy? We know Flo Thom is a good defensive player. We know Baylor's going to make it difficult for Timmy to put the ball in the hoop once he gets the basketball. But a lot of teams have attempted to make things hard for Drew Timmy when he gets the ball in his hands, and he typically does pretty darn well as long as he can get the basketball. I think Baylor is going to do everything they can to prevent Gonzaga's guards from making that entry pass. I'm pretty confident Scott Drew watched and watched and watched the tape against Texas for the Zags. He knows that if you can get Gonzaga's guards frustrated, that they have a tendency to struggle to get the ball in the entry pass made to Drew Timmy. In that Texas game, the only player who was really efficient at actually getting the ball to Drew was Anton Watson. I suspect Baylor is going to attempt to do the same thing. They're going to put a lot of pressure on Nolan Hickman, on Julian Strother, on Rasir Bolton, on Hunter Salas if he's bringing the ball up the court, Malachi Smith, whomever it may be. Uh, They're going to use Cryer, Flagler, Keontae, George. All those guys are going to be up, putting the pressure on Gonzaga's guards, forcing them to make it really, really difficult to get Drew Timmy the basketball in positions where he can be successful. So that's a big hinge for me. Can Gonzaga make those adjustments? We've seen in a couple of games this year, they've just gone away from even running their offense entirely, and they've just focused on, let's just get the ball to Drew as early and as quickly as possible. Whether it's him straight up taking the ball up the court, whether it's them not running any offensive sets at all and just passing it to the wing and making an entry pass and getting the heck out of the way, whatever it may be, Gonzaga and Mark Few have proven they're not 
afraid to make fairly bold changes if it's what they need to do to get their best player the ball in his hands. But hopefully Gonzaga has come up with some plans and strategies this week so that going into this game, they find an effective way to get through the ball early and often. Because if that happens, this could be a really long night for the Baylor Bears. Next up, this has been a key for a couple of games, but I'm going to stick with it here in this one. Will the real Malachi Smith please stand up? We saw him against North Florida in the season opener, and we really saw him in that game against Portland State. Five for five from deep. What an incredible performance by Malachi Smith against the Vikings. But unfortunately, where we have not seen Malachi Smith is basically any of the rest of Gonzaga's games. We haven't seen him against those marquee performances. We didn't see him against Texas or Purdue. Didn't really see him in that Xavier game. Didn't really see him in that Michigan State game. There is an opportunity for Malachi Smith to be a significant contributor for this team off the bench. They need a player to step into that role. They need another outside shooter, another playmaker, another physical defensive player out on the perimeter. Malachi Smith has the skills to be that guy, but he hasn't been him just yet. Baylor is a tough ask. It is a tough ask to be that guy in this game. Baylor is big, they're physical, they're strong, but they're not a great defensive team. This is not as good of a team on that end of the floor as the team that won a national championship against the Zags a few years ago. They're not that level of talented on the defensive end of the floor. They're great on offense, but they have their issue. That team probably wouldn't have given up 96 to Marquette. Let's put it that way. So can Malachi Smith be a guy who makes a difference on the offensive end of the floor? And if not, If this is another game that goes by where he's not a contributor offensively, Mark Few and the staff have to figure out what they want to do with that spot because this may not be something that works. He'll probably get through the WCC. I I think that he was going to be totally fine in those situations, but if he's not stepping up in bigger games, they need to figure out if there's a situation that they need to change with their guard rotation in order to be successful in some of these bigger games. Next up, can the Zags get out in transition. Another issue they have had throughout the year, Michigan State and Texas did a good job of taking away transition opportunities from the Zags. We saw them get a little bit better about that in other games this season. Again, this is not a great defensive team for Baylor, but they are an athletic team. They are a a, a, a team that I think has the ability to prevent Gonzaga from getting out in transition. We've also seen games this year where Gonzaga somewhat intentionally chose not to get out in transition because they were prioritizing crashing the glass. That was a big story for them in the Purdue game is every time the ball went up, they didn't try to get out in transition. They just crashed the boards and really tried to prevent Purdue from getting offensive putbacks, getting offensive second chance opportunities. Gonzaga may choose to prioritize that again in this game. Just crash the glass. Everybody go down there, wrestle the ball away. Don't let Baylor get second chance opportunities. And if that means we have to run most of our offensive set through the half court offense, so be it. We will do that. I'm interested to see if Gonzaga is going to take a similar approach here or if they are going to try to steal those free points because they know how physical and aggressive Baylor can be on that end of the floor. So let's go try to run, run, run as much as we can, get some free points that way and and build ourselves a lead without having to work really hard on the offensive end of the floor. Next up, a huge game from Hunter Salas. Really, really necessary for the Zags. Hunter doesn't need to go out and score 10 points, 15 points, 20 points. Uh, He needs to be a really significant weapon on the defensive end of the floor. That's the biggest thing for Hunter Salas in this game. Adam Flagler, LJ Cryer, like we said, averaging 18 and 17, respectively. Both guys shooting the heck out of the basketball from deep. Flagler over 50%, close to 55%. Uh, Cryer just under 40%. Uh, Those two guys are 
absolute weapons. We've seen what happens when teams get hot from deep. Uh, Tyrese Hunter and Iowa, or excuse me, Iowa State, his former team. Tyrese Hunter and Texas absolutely dominated the Zags because of the outside shooting. As much as Zach Eady was a huge problem for Gonzaga against Purdue, uh, Purdue's guards hit some really big shots in that one as well. So for the Zags, having a strong perimeter defensive presence in Hunter Salas should help. Flagler, Cryer, not necessarily just go to absolute town on the Zags from beyond the arc, because if they do, it's going to be really hard for Gonzaga to come back in a game like this. So they need to find a way to prevent those guys from having really strong games on the perimeter. Hunter Salas and his defensive instincts, his athleticism, his ability to keep defenders in front of him. That is the kind of stuff that they're going to need in this game. And finally, can Julian Strother show that consistency and be that consistent number two man for the Zags behind Drew Timmy? He was that against Baylor. Or excuse me, against Xavier. Game high, 23 points in that one. Two threes in the final few minutes of that game really helped ice it. Sean Miller, ton of praise for Strother after that game. But he hasn't always been that guy. He has not always been the clear-cut number two scorer on this team behind Drew Timmy. This is a big game for him. This is a nice matchup for Julian Strother. Baylor doesn't have obvious horses to defend him. I think that he's going to be a problem for the Bears. If they're going under on screens, he's going to hit those deep threes like he did against Xavier. If they're going over the top on those screens, he's going to get to the rim. Yeah, maybe Flo Thamba's down there. Maybe Loner or Bridges is down there. But I think he can compete to get to the free throw line, get potentially get fouled and put those guys in foul trouble, which is a big part of the storyline for the Zags, or at least hit those little mid-range floaters, put some points on the board that way. I think he's a tough matchup for Baylor, and I think he needs to step up. How he does in this game, to me, huge part of the story. If Strother finishes you know, below his normal shooting averages, below 12, 14, 12 or 14 points in this one, I have a hard time imagining the Zags win. If he's over 20, if he has a game similar to what he did against Xavier, 23 points, I think he was 5 of 8 from deep in that one. I think you're all of a sudden talking about a, a much more likely chance that the Zags pull out a victory in that one. All right, closing out the conversation about the Baylor Bears, transitioning over to talking about the most recent announcement out of Spokane, Washington. Gonzaga announced three former players are going to have their jersey hung up in the kennel in separate ceremonies this season. We're going to get you all the info on these events and what it could mean for the future of jerseys hanging in the kennel. All right, segment three, still any patent, still locked on Zags. Talk about three former players who are going to get their jerseys hung up in the kennel this season. First up, the Courtney Vandersloot ceremony is finally happening. We still don't have a date. We still don't have a date. It is to be determined when this is going to happen. But Courtney's jersey is getting retired. And we'll talk about this momentarily, but this that's not the announcement that was made for Dan Dickow and Kelly Olenek. Their jerseys are getting hung up in the rafters hung up in the rafters, but they're not necessarily getting their jersey number retired. There is a distinction. Adam Morrison, for example, his jersey is hanging in the rafters. It's hanging alongside Frank Burgess. It's hanging alongside John Stockton. Those two numbers are retired. Adam Morrison's jersey number is not retired. The expectation is that Dan Dickow's jersey and Kelly Olenek's jersey, which we'll talk about momentarily, is going to get hung up in the rafters, but it is not going to be retired. Whereas... Previous announcements about Courtney Vandersloot's was that that jersey number would be retired. They planned to do this last year, but the game was canceled because of COVID-19. That ended up canceling a long time of of finally getting a chance to plan this event and have Courtney in the house 
and do the ceremony that way. And then, of course, it got canceled. So now they're hoping to do it again. We, the belief is that they're trying to do it even previously before last season. But Courtney always played overseas after finishing her WNBA season. There's a longer conversation that could be had about the fact that one of the most prolific WNBA players of all time still has to play off-season basketball in a foreign country in order to make enough money. That is another conversation for another day. However, it sounds like Courtney is not going to be playing overseas this offseason. She's a free agent. Uh, she could potentially stay in Chicago. She could, of course, sign in Seattle with the Storm. This is a often discussed uh, potential landing spot for Courtney as a replacement to Sue Bird. Uh, obviously, back in her hometown, she's from Seattle suburbs. Clearly went to Gonzaga, obviously. Uh, familiar with the Pacific Northwest would be a really, really fun opportunity for her to get to come home and for Storm fans to get to celebrate her and see her replace you know, one of the one of only two players with more career assists uh, in the WNBA history than her in Sue Bird. Of course, this depends on what happens with Courtney's wife, also a free agent in the WNBA. That is Allie Quigley. Perhaps they'll both sign in Seattle. There's conversation that Allie could end up retiring uh, and maybe would just still be able to move to Seattle for Courtney to finish out her career. Who knows? Lots of conversation there. Salute, unquestionably the greatest point guard in Gonzaga basketball history. 2,000 points, 1,000 assists. The first player, men's or women's Division One, to ever do that. She is one of two now, the only other player who has done it. With Sabrina Ionescu for the Oregon Ducks, also coached by Kelly Graves. Regardless, Courtney, all-timer, WNBA future WNBA Hall of Famer, uh, one of the greatest college basketball players of all time, and now will have her jersey hung up and retired at some point this season. As soon as we get a date on that, we will discuss because that is going to be a very, very fun day at the McCarthy Athletic Center. Next up, Kelly Olinick, December 5th. Not only do we know the date that his jersey is going to get hung up, it is coming up. It is next Monday, Kelly Olinick. It's going to be there. They're going to do a big jersey ceremony for him. Hang up that big 1-3 that he wore while in a Gonzaga uniform. I said this on Twitter. I'll say it here, too. I was a senior that 2012-2013 season when Kelly Olenek uh, had redshirted for the, the previous year, was kind of a guy that wasn't really on the radar significantly. Mark Few was telling people before the season, hey, Kelly's going to be one of our best players this year. Nobody believed him. <laughs> Nobody believed him at the time. If you had told me then that Kelly was going to be one of the first players to have his jersey hung up in the rafters, keep in mind at this point, Kelly had already played two seasons at Gonzaga. It is not like he was brand new to the program or entirely unheard of. He had played two years and had done very little. He was a guard in a seven-footer's body. He hadn't adjusted to his size. He grew like 10 inches his junior year of high school. He was still trying to figure out how to be a low post player, how to score around the rim. Uh, he just, he wasn't much of a contributor. He was a, a deep bench option, wasn't doing much with the minutes that he was getting to the point where they redshirted him. Obviously, you don't do that with a player who is contributing in a significant way. So for him to come back, put together the year that he had, grow out the long hair, finish in a variety of creative ways around the rim, develop the outside shot, dunk all over people, get technical fouls for throwing down against Kansas State and screaming in the players' faces words that I'm not going to say on the podcast. Like that kind of development for Kelly Linick was one of the most fun things to ever get to witness as a as a fan and at the time as a student uh, at Gonzaga to see him develop into the player that he became to lead a Gonzaga roster, the first number one ranking in program history first time they ever been ranked number one there was a cake on campus it was this a huge monumental 
program altering event. Kelly Olenek, a huge part of that story. It's his name doesn't necessarily invoke some of the same conversations that like Adam Morrison or Dan Dickow will. And it's partly because he only really had one great year. And when you look at the way college basketball works, now there's so many iconic players who only have one great year. Chet Holmgren, Jalen Suggs, Nigel Williams-Goss, all three of those guys. It, Suggs was not an All-American, but Holmgren and Nigel Williams-Goss were All-Americans. It certainly seems like with Dickow and Olenek being players who are getting their jerseys hung up in the rafters, that part of what Gonzaga is doing is that they're going to hang jerseys for all of their All-Americans. If that's the case, eventually Nigel Williams-Goss's jersey could be hung up in the rafters. Eventually, Chet Holmgren's jersey could be hung up in the rafters. Corey Kispert. He was an All-American. Maybe his jersey will be hung up in the rafters. Drew Timmy, that seems like a foregone conclusion that at the end of his playing career, at some point after his playing career is over, that his jersey will be hanging in the rafters. But that's a lot of, of players, and it kind of is helped explain by the fact that they're not necessarily going to retire all of these numbers. Otherwise, you're going to have a situation where you're just going to be starting to run out of jersey numbers for guys to wear. Uh, so it makes sense to retire Courtney's. She's on another level. Absolutely extraordinarily talented program altering, you know, face of the school type of player. So her jersey getting retired totally makes sense. Dan and Kelly getting their jerseys hung up. I think they earned it. Certainly they're, you know, two All-Americans in a program that has had a handful of, of very good All-Americans. Uh, I think that the the honor of their jersey being hung and not necessarily being uh, retired in that way, I think makes some sense for them. Uh, and it's something I, I'm I'm very excited about. So we talked about Kelly Lennox is on December 5th against Kent State is the game that's going to be happening on that day. Dan Dickow, his jersey will be hung on February 9th against the Dons of San Francisco. Probably a little bit easier to schedule that with Dan in terms of getting him in the house since he is often the color commentator for Gonzaga's home game. So he's typically in the house uh, for most of Gonzaga's home games as it is. So really nice opportunity for him, of course. You know, we talked about Kelly being the, the impactful redshirt uh, kind of sit out player for Gonzaga, even though he was not a transfer. Uh, Dan Dickow is, is, of course, the most notable transfer for the Zags. He came over from Washington, friends with Casey Calvary. Uh, Cal Casey convinced him, hey, man, come out here, come to Spokane, uh, you know, away from UW, play here instead. He came over. Two tremendous seasons in Gonzaga uniforms, scored 21 points per game as a true senior, helped lead those teams to more success in the NCAA tournament. I think you can make a legitimate argument that the Gonzaga's success in 1999 and then the, the transition from Dan Monson to Mark Few, there could have been a drop-off. So many programs see that happen. Look at Loyola Chicago. Just recently, they had this massive success. Their coach changed. They brought in a new coach. Now they're not even in the top half of their conference. George Mason went to a Final Four recently. VCU went to a Final Four recently. I say recently. It's not that recent. But regardless, you haven't heard of those programs since then. They haven't been in that conversation. Remember when Wichita State, speaking of that Kelly Linux season, Wichita State defeated the Zags as a nine seed that year, then went basically undefeated the next year. That success didn't sustain for them. Gonzaga's success sustaining was a huge part to do with, of course, Mark Few and his tremendous success as a coach, as a recruiter, as a talent evaluator, all of that stuff. A lot of it has to do with Gonzaga's athletic department stepping up, building new facilities, engaging and interacting with the fan base and helping to make sure that there was sustained success in the athletic department. But a lot of it had to do with finding that kid from Vancouver, Washington, convincing him to move five hours east to Spokane and play two more years uh, with the Zags. Had he not done that, it's hard to know 
whether Gonzaga would have had the success that they had, whether the, you know, the, the chain of events that occurred after that, where they started getting more international players, Roni Turioff, JP Batista, of course, Adam Morrison and his success and so on and so forth from there. A lot of it stemmed from the success that Dan had in a Gonzaga uniform, really impactful player for the program. The fact that he's still around, that he's still commenting on games, he's still engaged with the fan base. He puts together clinics in Spokane, all of that stuff makes him a, a player that absolutely deserves this honor. He also had a lengthy NBA career, one of few Zags, especially early on, who had a length. Well, he's one of the first Mark Few era Zags to have a productive NBA career. You know, Richie Fromm was in the NBA very briefly. Of course, we saw Ronnie Turioff and Adam Morrison make the NBA a few years later, but Dickow was kind of the first guy to really be that super impactful college player who then turned around and had a pr- successful pro career. So, I love that these guys are getting this this award, this honor. They're getting to come to the house. They're getting to have this ceremony for them. Fan base gets to go crazy, get to see some fun once-in-a-lifetime event. Hopefully they'll put together some videos, maybe have some speeches, all of that good stuff. I'm always for this stuff. I think it's fun. Yeah, it's fan service, but that's totally fine. I'm curious if these moves preclude future moves with players like Nigel Williams-Goss and Corey Kispert potentially returning to the house to get their jerseys hung up in the rafters as well. All right, that is going to do it for me today. More coming about Baylor on Friday's episode. Also, don't forget to check out the new Lockdown College Basketball podcast with myself and co-host Isaac Shade, giving you all the news around college basketball five times per week, available wherever you get podcasts and available on YouTube as well. Go hit that subscribe button if you haven't done so yet. Finally, I want to thank all of you for making Locked On Zags your first listen of the day. For your next listen, check out the Locked On Sports Today podcast, the biggest stories of the day, plus instant reactions, big game recaps, and the take of the day. Available on the Odyssey app, YouTube, and wherever you get podcasts. All right, thank you all for listening, and go Zags.